0: Hi, welcome to 00CHL podcast. I'm so sorry, I haven't done it in a while, so I forgot to play my cool intro music. Anyway, happy holidays, everyone. This tonight is 29th of December, 2023. I don't know why I said tonight, because it's actually early in the morning. And I have a guest. Um, I guess should say hi. Hello.
1: It's not early in the morning, it's late in the morning.
0: Anyway, I'm having my early coffee, and uh, let's talk about very important topics for today's episode. First of all, how are you doing?
1: I'm looking up the microphone. I don't think it addresses from my side.
0: Well, I want your full attention to the podcast.
1: Well, I want the microphone to record the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you think about surveillance capitalism?
1: Well, that's kind of a big topic.
0: You should say what you think.
1: Well, what's part of surveillance capitalism?
0: Do you think it's... Okay, let's start simple. Do you think it's a big evil or are there instances where it can be good?
1: generally it's a big evil but it does come with a lot of convenience
0: what are the conveniences and do they justify the evilness
1: well they don't justify the evilness because they mostly originate in laziness from like an engineering perspective
0: you should elaborate more what are the conveniences
1: yeah so most of these Most of the surveillance capitalism things uh, came out of this evolution from what you might call Web 1 to Web 2, where people started offering digital services. And the services are very convenient. So, like Google Maps or uh, Facebook, Instagram, Strava, all of the typical Web 2 apps, they're actually very useful because. As someone sharing information, you don't have to host it yourself. And as someone looking for information, you can go to one place for that information. You don't have to go, uh, like, like if I want to check your your pictures and somebody else's pictures, I can go to Instagram and check both. I don't have to go to your website and somebody else's website and keep checking uh, for the same thing. I can go to a service provider. Uh, the laziness comes out of you basically have to trust the service provider, and they took a lot of shortcuts.
0: Why do you think we make a big deal of the surveillance and the data gathering? Because a lot of people, if you talk to people, they might they usually re- say that, okay, well, I don't really have anything to hide. I'll never become a billionaire, or like I'll never become a murderer, so why should I care?
1: I mean, yeah, do you think people make a big deal out of it? No, they don't. Yeah, but like we do, but... We Most do. Don't.
0: Yeah, we do, but this is this is podcast for the masses. So you should how would you convince a friend to use ProtonMail mail instead of Google Mail, for example? What would be your arguments if if you were talking to somebody outside of our bubble?
1: Yeah, it's tough because well Proton Mail is actually getting a lot better as far as user experience and linked services. Um, and I haven't watched this, uh, there's like an old Glenn Greenwald talk about this argument that like, uh, I don't have anything to hide. And yeah, but like you don't share your password with a bunch of people, right? Uh, so you do have things to hide, which is completely normal. Um, and I think most people don't realize how much they're actually sharing with a company like Google when they use Gmail.
0: And how much and how does that impact our lives um, or will impact our lives in the near future?
1: Yeah, the thing is, it usually doesn't impact your life. Like, you you get a lot of convenience until one day it does impact your life. So, um, I well, guess... Let's,
0: like, say, let's say, like, not impact the life of a person as an individual, but, like, the society. What are, like, the societal implications?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... It depends. Like in the West, I guess um, there's a lot of it changes the incentive models, incentive model for a business uh, from trying to provide the product or service to like the attention economy. Like how much of how much of your attention can they get? Um, like how much time can they make you or not make you, but uh, cunningly convince you to spend. In their application Uh, because when they're doing it they're actually they're of course collecting information about you and learning about you so um, they can sell that information on like uh, ad exchange markets
0: yeah so i always um i guess my journey with the privacy and the companies collecting data didn't start out really genuinely because I was in my early 20s and I just wanted to be cool and care about these things and I guess I really started to kick um really started to understand what was going on after I read that book the age of surveillance capitalism Uh, which I would highly recommend everyone to read but it's not a book that I could casually mention to people because it's actually like it's pretty big and it's not the pop science book it's an actual science book, which a lot of readers might uh, find, or like, listeners might find hard to read. Um, yeah, so, like, that book and the weapons of mass destructions, and basically the... kind of, like, opens the eyes to see how... We don't really have free will. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> sorry, because uh, that's what I've been thinking about lately. I don't think we have free will biologically, but also, like, the society and the big data, they pretty much make the decisions for us with all the collective data of the society.
1: Yeah, or they're not making the decision for you, but it's like a a magician when they want you to to choose a card. You you think you're randomly picking a card out of a deck, but they have a way of uh, forcing you or not forcing you, but uh, very strongly suggesting that you pick a particular one.
0: Yeah, and of course it contributes to the problem of inequality, like the richer getting richer, poor are getting poorer, smarter are getting smarter, stupider are getting more stupid, And um, yeah, so I remember in the end of the book, she was saying that she was sharing her not very optimistic forecast to, <laughs> to tackle the problem because the only solution is to share with as many people as possible to, you know, like take care of your data. Uh, but yeah, again, why, why would people care?
1: Yeah, I mean, most people. This is the paradox. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, do you think we should just give up?
1: Uh, No, I don't think we should give up. I mean, I think there will be another. uh, I guess I, I, you might call it a black swan. Uh, Thinking more specifically, I I call it like an Edward Snowden moment. Mm -hmm. I, I think there'll probably be another type of Edward Snowden moment where most people don't just like. Most people didn't realize the extent to which the U.S. government was surveilling them, and then Snowden revealed this. Most people don't realize the extent to which companies like Google surveil you, uh, or that the or the information that they're able to collect, um, and and this will eventually come out in, in some data leak or something, uh, and people will suddenly care, and that's where like these, com- these services like Proton Mail, or like. Web3 and and blockchain stuff, like a lot of people don't care right now, but the product development happens for a niche community so that the user experience is, it's actually possible for people to migrate. But if you think about like 10 years ago, it would have been really hard for people to migrate to like a a blockchain type of application because (laughs) there's all these like private key things and like weird applications like Electron and stuff that you need to to learn or Electrum.
0: so, you know, like, there was this... It wasn't really a black swan moment, but there was the moment last year where a lot of people in Russia realized that the government is actually spying on them. I don't know how they didn't uh, come to this conclusion before, <laughs> but, like, after the war and all of the oppressions, people suddenly realized that they actually went in the totalitarian state, yet still they use on Telegram, they use WhatsApp, and even if I say... Can you please install a signal? This is the most secure app, and I'd like to talk to you there. They won't. And so I get the point that you're making, but I guess I'm just way too disappointed in people to trust them at this point. Um, yeah, because I don't understand how you can how people can keep using Telegram when it's basically a known fact that it got sold to a Russian government.
1: Yeah. Uh, but people do
0: yeah, um what do you think is more dangerous the governmental surveillance or the big tech
1: uh I mean both in different ways uh, I mean big tech is government surveillance, right because governments yeah. can subpoena the company and just ask for the data, and ninety nine percent of the time they'll give it up um, I'm actually quite curious about. I think it's like uh, how things evolve, right? It's because you can do something. And I think this is an age of surveillance capitalism. Either Zuboff or Snowden have talked about it that uh, this data basically lasts forever. Like they're collecting data on you over a very long period of time. And it's not like this is your behavioral pattern this month or something. They're collecting this data over a span of years. And of course, like laws change. Uh, countries like Russia invades uh, other countries. Uh, But even in the U S like suddenly abortion is illegal in in certain states. And there's all these like web two companies giving apps uh, about like women's health trackers and stuff. And, you know, I'm kind of curious, like the first subpoena that comes up from a state uh, to, to ask for data on like which women are like statistically have more like statistically more Likely, likelihood of having had an abortion or looking for an abortion. If they subpoena a company for that data, is the founder, like the founder, this is where like the problem with the capitalism part comes in, because like the company has a fiduciary duty to its shareholders uh, to maximize profit, and will they, will they disobey that and destroy the company, burn all the data, potentially like the founder or share, shareholders go to jail, uh, or do they give it up? And I don't think it's happened yet, but, like, it could happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. What is your protocol for, like, what is your digital hygiene? Like, which apps do you use? What would you recommend?
1: Yeah. uh <laughs> I mean, I try to do most of my communication on Signal, but, uh, yeah. I haven't gone as far as you. I still have WhatsApp and, and Telegram out of convenience. Um and there are some apps like where I do make the choice about convenience versus data sharing. Like um Strava. Yeah, like Strava. <laughs> I really like Strava. Uh it's like my web two crutch. But it's also like there's this app like in Switzerland called Rega, um, which is like the rescue service and yeah, if I'm in the mountains and there's an app that says, like, you know, they want your location and I can press a button and, like, they'll send a helicopter to come rescue you. Like, I'm willing to make that trade that, like, I give up my data about where I am because they're providing a service that I find useful. Um, and then some stuff, yeah, like, like Google Maps, you almost can't live without.
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, um Some people who are not really familiar with blockchain technologies, the argument that they make is the whole point of blockchain technologies is transparency. So they think that everything that happens on blockchain, I mean, everything that happens on blockchain says on blockchain, isn't it a threat to privacy as well?
1: Uh, Yes, but I think that uh, um, it's true, the transparency part, but it's maybe like a little bit misguided. So the main thing that, in my opinion, blockchain provides is uh, is guarantees about the execution of logic or instructions. So we don't need, like cryptography gives us uh, guarantees about the authenticity of information. Um, And even like a computer program is information itself. Um, It's just a set of instructions. Uh, And so we don't need blockchain to give that kind of guarantee. Like we can... We can have some computer program and we can both agree based on uh, cryptographic properties that it's the same computer program. Um, but we also want guarantees that we execute this program. So um, when you use an application like Twitter or something, you're uh, you're giving some information. And when I see a tweet that comes from you, uh, this is where like the, the trust in the service provider comes in. Um, I'm trusting that you actually wrote that tweet. Right. Uh, of course, the real trust is that either you wrote that t- tweet or Twitter, someone with access to Twitter's database uh, wrote that tweet and said that it like comes come from you. They're impersonating you. And because I have access to your account and everything comes through this trust model where like the application provider is basically God. Um, they can tell me that like this came from you. So I have to trust them about that. And so for information, like even using an application like Twitter, like you could, you could digitally sign uh, your tweets with some external key uh, that would give extra guarantees about the authenticity of the information. But there's still trust in like the application um, where like, if I, if I click the button, if I write something and I click the button tweet, right? Like Twitter tells me that I have, you know, a hundred followers or something. I believe that Twitter is going to actually show that tweet to them, right? Um, and that's going to be based on some logic. Like there are some, you know, the quote unquote algorithm that decides like who sees what tweets. And so I believe that like, they're going to show this to my followers. Um, they could actually not show this to my followers, but just tell me that it's been public. Right. Um, so this is where like the logic parts comes in. Uh, I have to actually trust that like some set of instructions is executing. And of course, like with these apps like Twitter and Facebook, we don't have access to the execution. We don't even have access to what the algorithm is. Um, But that's what blockchain gives you. We can not only agree on like, here's this computer program, but we can agree that it was executed correctly. Yeah.
0: I was taking a sip of water. Um, So, I had a question, but I forgot while you were talking. (laughs) Anyway, what do you think is missing in blockchain UX?
1: Uh, I'm the worst person to ask this question.
0: Because you don't don't really care about UX?
1: Uh, It's not that I don't care, but I've been using, like, even for like a Bitcoin wallet, like I mean, I was using this like Electrum thing from like I don't know how many years ago, and I'm used to seeing like kind of what's under the hood and these like yeah. quote unquote bad UXs. For most people, they're bad UXs. Um, when I just see like a button that says like you know send or something, um, I get confused because I'm like, well, wait a minute, what's it doing? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the same. So. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't
0: really trust them. I Actually, was. Actually, I have to confess. In 2020, I was hoping that they will never change the UI of Polkadot apps, Polkadot.js JS apps, because I was like, "But there is a developer tab, and you can like, and everything is like makes sense. And if they change it, it's going to 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 attract people who are like. Well well stupid <laughs> and then and then i'm not gonna like it but i mean of course i have changed my mind since then because i mean we need to you have to accept the existence of people that you don't like and they have to use good technologies this is the lesson i learned in the last years
1: i'll phrase that a different way yeah. for you <laughs> uh, i mean people specialize in different things so yeah when it comes to like polka.js apps uh, I also don't want it to change. And when I see like, I mean, there's some like nice, nicer, like new user experiences out there. And they also confuse me because I know like what the actual API is and it bothers me that um, I can't see it. Yeah, that It's being hidden away, yeah. hidden from me. Um, But since it's like, what's twenty 29th of December or something uh, and starting to think about all the end of year accounting and, and tax stuff for next year I remember like last year when I did my taxes uh, my Swiss tax advisor sent me this email that was like a mile long with like all these things about oh you need to do this for that and like it was like the summary and I was like I don't and I wrote them back I was like so how much do I owe like what's my tax like I couldn't figure it out right and of course like they have a master's degree in finance and like they studied in Switzerland and like you know, they have, like, all the certifications, and, like, they understand, like, for me, as, like, the end user, I just want the number, like, tell me how much I have to pay in taxes, like, I don't want to know the details, and why, like, you know, this amount went to the canton, and this amount goes to the uh, federal government, and, you know, this part is for social security, and this part is for income, and this part is for something else, like, I don't care, like, tell me the number, right, and so, um, of course, if you're, like, a tax specialist, you probably do care about how that stuff gets divided up. Um, so, like, I, I, to make these good user experiences for people, you do have to hide away, the, hide the API from people uh, and just show them, like, give, present them a story of what they want to do.
0: What's the story that you would tell users when you wanted to convince them to use web 3 apps?
1: Uh... Yeah, that's a good question. Um,
0: First of all, now, what, yeah. what, is, what is a Web3 app? Is it yeah. like it isn't... Because I think to some people, those are the apps that run on blockchain. To others, they're just decentralized apps and to, like, and to others, they're basically encrypted and privacy-focused apps. What's your opinion?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, blockchain, you can have a centralized app that's running on a blockchain. Uh, I mean, blockchain just guarantees that it's executed. Uh, yeah. But of course, you can still have like uh, an authority key within that app, which there's been a lot yeah. on Ethereum. So, yeah. um, and the nice part about blockchain mm-hmm. is that it tells you, it, it just tells you upfront, like you can look at it and say, yes, this you can get... Uh, you have the guarantee that this program is executing correctly, but there's also somebody with like administrative access to yeah. the program. Yeah. Um, and if that's a so trade off, would to that be
0: this. a Web three app for you?
1: Um, I would say yes, just because you have the Guarantees clarity. that
0: they will be executed. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, but I don't think it's just limited to blockchain. I yeah. think blockchain is just one component. Yeah. In, I think yeah. Web3 app is where you, you don't have to trust a service provider in order to use the service.
0: Okay. But
1: you can if you want to.
0: Is Signal a Web3 app? I would say yes. Actually. Yeah. Anyway, what would be your story? Let's say you met a friend who is a typical millennial, like 30 years old they use all kind of Web2 services and you want to convince them to, I don't know, use product mail or, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it depends on the person. But um, I mean, yeah, if you live in Europe, yeah, it's probably not a big deal <laughs> to use Gmail, right? So like Web3, I think it has to be a better user experience. People aren't going to switch most people aren't going to switch for, like, ideological or philosophical yeah. reasons. and the
0: network effect. I mean, if a lot of people start using Web3 apps, then people will just follow, yeah. regardless of UX and ideology.
1: Yeah, and there is, like, this, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's wrong. People think that, like, they always just say, like, oh, well, Web3 UX is bad. Um, it should be more like Web2. But there's a lot of things in Web2 UX that suck. <laughs> um so all these things like uh, a CAPTCHA or mm-hmm. um, sending you like a, a two-factor SMS, like these are terrible, right? Like um, there's better ways to do this. And people just blindly accept that like Web2 user experience is yeah. good. And then you have to like check a box that says like, I'm a human. <laughs> like like, <laughs> like pick the picture with a stop sign and it's like, this is crazy. Uh this is terrible UX and people think it's good because they're just conditioned to it. Uh, yeah. and they're used to it. Um, so that's one thing, like, I think like web three, especially with like the guarantees of cryptography, you can do much better than like, you know, check this box to prove that you're human. Um, and the other part is I think people will actually like, they will learn a different UX, even if it's like, not as good, like quote unquote, um, if there's a service that's available to them, that is a good experience. And you can even look to, like, I mean, Web 1, like, in the like the 80s and 90s. I mean, like, I had to take a typing class in high school because, like, kids didn't know how to type. And, like, my parents had to take a typing class. And, like, a QWERTY keyboard is not a good user experience. How old are you? Sorry. <laughs> I'm 37. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're, like, under 30, you probably grew up with this qwerty keyboard um and you don't even think twice wait like,
0: you do you have a different keyboard
1: no but i didn't like my first computer i got when i was 10
0: but it had a qwerty keyboard yeah okay good
1: yeah uh <laughs> but like i mean the first i never like touched a keyboard until i was 10 years old yeah.
0: um
1: and like if you are which like it's still young enough like i was able to learn and like you know I was still a kid like using a computer, but like if you're 10 years older than me, there's probably something like you had to learn, but like people took time, they left, they took a vacation day or they took like their like uh, continuing education time from work to go take a typing class. And it's not because like a QWERTY keyboard or like a mouse or like Windows 95 was a particularly good user experience. It's because they recognized the power of computing and that is like, it's going to be a very powerful tool that they can use in their lives and they want to take the time to learn it. And if there's applications available on Web3 that are promising and people have confidence that they'll have value in their lives, they'll take the time to learn a different user experience than Web2.
0: Yeah.
1: That's my opinion about it.
0: Okay, I had, oh my God, I had like a few follow up questions, but I, Lost when they started talking about keyboards. Uh oh, wait a second. All right, what do you think about the world coin?
1: The world coin. Yeah. Like with the orb.
0: What's the orb?
1: Like the, that you have to look in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know much about it except for the the orb that it has an orb. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like a very typical uh, false step of surveillance capitalism, like collecting information on other people. Data. Yeah. data, yeah. And I mean, it's not even that good. Like, I mean, you can't, with a private key, of course, you know, if, it, if you have a, say, 256 bit key, it needs to be, it's it's only true or false, right? Either 256 bits are correct, or they're not. So you can't have like 255 out of 256. So, um, I mean, if you do any research about like a retina scan or like iris scan and then like these type of biometric markers, of course, like they can change over time with age. They can change due to like some trauma that you have. Um, and and so usually like you can look at you know a hundred different markers in some kind of biometric information like this and then you can say like you know based on some control like the first time you scan your iris um you know if if 90 out of 100 of them are the same then you can say okay it's the same person right but it's still probabilistic and like yeah not only like your your body changes uh with time or or with trauma but like i mean the the scanners need to be calibrated and stuff like this so It still needs to map to, like, somebody has to hold the key, right? Um, And maybe it can, like, unlock something, like, on your phone. But, like, yeah, someone's still collecting this this information and doing the matching that says uh, this is, like, the same person that did the original scan. Yeah.
0: So let's say, let's go back to our 30-year-old millennial. Let's say they want to, we've sort of convinced them to try to use... uh, more Web3 and less Web2 tools, what would you recommend to start with? Because I guess if they're on their own, they're just probably gonna like, you know, what's, they hear the word Ethereum, they will probably check out like Ethereum apps, apps. dApps.
1: Yeah, I mean, do whatever you're interested in. (laughs) Like, that's kind of like, I mean, how would you recommend somebody get started in Web2?
0: I wouldn't recommend anyone to get started with Web2.
1: Okay, (laughs) Uh, 20 years ago, I guess all Facebook started in like 2004, so uh, no, 18 years ago, how would you recommend somebody get started in Web2?
0: I mean, I'd probably recommend people to use Facebook rather than MySpace, because just MySpace wasn't popular in my country, that's it
1: yeah yeah so like I mean you don't uh, I I think this is like a a problem because people say oh if you want to try Ethereum like get MetaMask or something like this and you you don't want to you actually like don't want to expose all these like underlying things or like give a defined entry path like like you don't tell people uh, in 2006 or something Mm -hmm. like Hey you should check out GraphqL <laughs> like yeah. you say just try Facebook um, like if you're interested in like gaming try some like web 3 gaming game if you're interested in like finance try some finance app if you're interested in uh, social networking try like a web3 social network or something
0: well, let's say, let's say people want to take take control of their finances right they want to be the owner of the of the assets but they don't know anything like which app would you recommend?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. I think I use all the old ones that you have to know the all the underlying stuff about. So probably whatever I don't use.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: What would you recommend then? I
0: guess for... I don't really use DeFi, like anything it has to offer. I just like to store my uh, tokens on the blockchain. I would definitely say don't use an exchange. I mean, use an exchange to ramp, but don't store your, I mean, if you can, don't store your assets there, just like move them on actual blockchain because people, and there is a big misconception. People think that they they own
1: yeah. tokens
0: when they actually don't. Right. Uh, just because they have an account on the centralized exchange doesn't mean that they have anything to do with blockchains. Basically, they, again, they trust in the yeah. centralized entity. Yeah. So I think that would be my first uh, recommendation. Like, if you get tokens on an exchange, make sure to move them on the blockchain where nobody can take take them away from you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I have questions now. Okay. Like, I think this is quite funny. I have a couple of questions about... Um, uh, Okay, you got a couple in my head. Like, I guess it's come up in the U.S., but also in Europe. Uh, like legislation that suggests as banning self-custodial wallets, and I think this is like really interesting from a freedom of speech point of view because you can take any you can take anything, right, and just hash it and create a key based on that. So. Um, you know, a wallet is like a 12 word or 24 word phrase and you just have to remember it right so how can they make legislation that says like it's illegal to know words yeah it's think? like
0: it's like the kill switch uh that the european union wants to enforce on smart contracts you heard about it no because right? like i mean they don't like the idea of smart contracts running indefinitely and they want to make sure that every smart contract has the so-called kill switch. So whenever it's needed, they can just kill it. So it stops from operating. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, what else? Yeah, and I guess maybe they can, like, companies that have the legislation, level, like entities in Europe, they will probably have to um, obey it also, like anybody can develop a smart contracts anonymously, right? And so they can't really enforce it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is just shows again the disconnect between people in power, people making decisions, and people making technologies.
1: Yeah, they don't really understand yeah. what the technology is. Yeah. And then uh, I think I heard that it's phrased nicely about like, People think of like a, a private key as something that you have, but it's really it's something that you know. Yeah, uh, it's and not something have. that you have, and so like uh, you can't ban knowledge basically.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, I just remembered my security board um in twenty nineteen with one person that we both know who recommended to not have the I forgot and it's called the touch password, when you have to put your finger to yeah. unlock your phone. Because he said, anybody can cut off your fingers. <laughs> but nobody knows, like, nobody can make you unknown the combination of numbers.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. with this person, I got different advice. You really? Yeah. What? Well, it's basically, it's like, it's uh, it depends on your threat model, right? Like, if you are... Um, if you're somebody high profile who might be like a, a target.
0: Yeah, then people can like observe your or like.
1: Yeah, then your fingerprint yeah. is, is not very good because if somebody has access to your phone, they can like, you know, put some like sticky sheets on it and lift your fingerprint off of it and then they can can use that to re authenticate. Um, but if you're like, if you're sitting on the subway in Berlin, then, like, typing in your passcode, somebody can easily look over your shoulder and see what the passcode is, and so, like, just touching it with your finger is much more secure. Yeah, I guess,
0: uh, yeah, I guess, I guess his recommendations were tailored to our experiences because I come from a pre solitary country, and he was basically saying, yeah, when you're crossing the border, they can take your finger and make and unlock your phone, right? But you yes. can actually lie that you forgot your password, and there is no there is no way they can prove it. Yeah. They
1: can prove uh-huh.
0: Otherwise,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, I remember this advice definitely. When crossing a border, put your phone in lockdown mode and, uh, and
0: pretend you forgot your password. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: I had, and my other question was, uh, why do you think people are so? Uh, they might be what's the word like not disdainful but uh untrusting of of certain people until they're suddenly very trusting of them and so my example is like with the banks everybody hates banks like you go ask a normal person like uh you know what do you think of wall street bankers uh not many people have a very good opinion but then i talk to some people and they're like yeah, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Jamie Dimon were saying that, you know, crypto is bad because of, of money laundering or something. And it's like, well, yeah, but JP Morgan was like, you know, they were a bank account for Bernie Madoff. And like for how many decades they didn't even see that this fraud was happening in their own accounts and like uh, how much money have has been laundered through banks. But then like the banks say, well, Bitcoin is bad because you know, somebody uses, like, we can't control it. And people all of a sudden use that as, like, a, a, a respectable figure. Why do you think that is?
0: Sorry, who is using that as a respectable figure?
1: Oh, a lot. Like, I mean, if you watch the news or something. Like, uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example. Like, a senator will say... A senator who's like extremely anti-Wall Street, all of a sudden, uh, is using like is using bankers as their ally and uh, discrediting crypto.
0: Yeah, I mean it's the same as uh, France and England. Like they were hating each other, and then Germany appeared, <laughs> so they kind of be like, you know, France is actually a good country. We're yeah. going to be allies with them, you know. The and, Germans are bad.
1: Yeah. yeah, and we'll put Belgium in the middle.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just the uh, maneuvering between the change in interest and change in enemies. You know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, people are not really consistent. Yeah. Um. I had um. I had a question. But as usual, I don't remember it now. Wait a second. Right. What would the world be if all of the correspondence or, like, all of the chats were encrypted and nobody could access them?
1: I don't know. Do you think your chats are being accessed now? Hmm? Do you think your chats are being accessed now?
0: Well, in my WhatsApp chats obviously very yeah. well could be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, probably nothing would change in the short term except politicians... Uh, I mean, it would probably expose a lot, right? Because politicians would suddenly say, wait a minute, we don't like this. Which they're kind of doing in England already. They're wanting to ban things like signal.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrible. Well, another thing is, the argument that people make is that it will make it easier for criminals to, you know, kill people or get drugs, sell drugs, you know. The counter-argument is that's happening anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: The problem is we don't know how much more that would be happening if all of the chats were private.
1: No, but do you think so, mass surveillance is actually catching them?
0: No, I don't think so. Well, I think I recently had like a very uh, like dictatorship moment <laughs> when I thought... You know, like, if people don't don't want to use encrypted apps, like, I'm going to be, like, really harsh now. I thought, if people don't want to use encrypted apps, despite all of the information that they know, like, and despite everything, that means that they're just dumb. And if people are dumb, they deserve to be on. You know? So, at some point, like, maybe for a couple of days, my position was people who want to use encrypted apps and Signal should use them. But... It's, but I didn't think that everybody should. Yeah. Because I thought, okay, this has to be an option. People must, like, should have a choice. But I also don't believe in the, like, having signal or, like, any other encrypted uh, communication channels as the only possible way.
1: Yeah, I agree that people should have a choice. I mean, I always choose to use signal when I can yeah, but, but
0: but again like don't you think that we should like help people who don't know the implications of the choice and, and stir them into the right direction by eliminating the bad apps?
1: Uh, I guess until you said eliminating the bad apps, I thought that's what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean I, I would hope that we don't have to use eliminate the bad apps by force. (laughs) They should just they should have to be private by default in order to compete.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. As Bill Labun once said, not everything has to be decentralized. Because I do think we need centralized entities sometimes.
1: Yeah, but it's more about the like voluntary choice to choose um, when you want to use one.
0: Yeah. Anyway, how do we make people use Web3 apps again?
1: Uh, offer experiences or services that cannot be offered in Web2 apps.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking that there is no way we can. <laughs> I felt like, okay, like it's, it's kind of like beyond that point. People will always like use apps they're used to. And if their friends use them too, this is just the network effect. But, and again, I think something should happen for them to change. For example, the Russians don't really have a choice but use crypto because they basically cut off the financial system. Yeah. So, like, that's basically the only way for them to transfer their assets or, like, for Europeans to transfer assets back to Russia. And uh, people in Latin America, they. Obviously, you can't really trust banks with like four thousand percent inflation a year, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the that again, like those instances showed us why we're building crypto.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's funny, especially in like the US and Europe when people talk about this, that like, you know, the US dollar is the standard and and stuff, but like. For a lot of people in the world, they they need to use crypto, uh, and just the amount of trust in the in the Federal Reserve. Like, if you think about basically all of Wall Street's all finance, it basically comes down to like I forget how many people are on the board of the Federal Reserve, but like you're basically trying to guess like are they going to increase or decrease rates in the next cycle, and Almost all investment decisions come down to gambling on what you think the small group of people is going to choose for the interest rate of the next month.
0: Yeah. If you could give five life advice to people, what would that be?
1: Five? Yes. That's a lot.
0: Well, try.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> There's a change of subject. <laughs> um, okay. One... Uh, become an expert in something Uh, it almost doesn't matter what but like properly spend five years like becoming an expert in in something Um, because it makes you it makes it easier to become an expert in something else and it also Helps you find your like identify blind spots. So when you're when you pick up something new, you can very quickly get a sense. You can quickly get a sense of the basics, but you can also get a sense that there's there's more to it and where um, where you might want to ask somebody who is actually an expert in that thing. Um, so I, I think it gives you good to understand something like really deeply and well. I think it gives you good intuition for other subjects. And being able to like transfer to, to new domains um would you okay.
0: would you what would you say about people trying to become experts in more than one things
1: uh i mean it's hard to do more than one thing at a time like because it, it takes some dedication yeah yeah um okay number two <laughs> um I don't know how to phrase it, like, uh, try to do stuff you're not an expert in, um, yeah. Like
0: I, getting out of your comfort zone, or?
1: Yeah, um, maybe, like, learn how to, like, apply eighty twenty or be a satisficer, something like this, uh, So what I'm trying to get at is like, I think one of the skills that like, like I think what has made me, uh, I don't want to say successful because like, I don't want to say like I've been successful, but like one of the things that I've, like one of the strengths that I have I think came from my time cycling and not from engineering, which is funny because i like, I thought the cycling thing was like a, a detour, like a break from engineering. Uh, But I actually find the skills that I learned cycling apply more to like my day to day work than my skills that I learned uh, studying and working professionally as an engineer, Um, which is basically like being able to pick up new things very quickly, like when there's when there's too many things. So like, uh, I guess like the example is like, when I started cycling, uh, of course, like I didn't have like I was just a beginner. I didn't have like a coach or anything, and like I started learning about training uh, and like like reading books about it and putting together my own training plan. And then like as I got more serious, I started learning about nutrition, uh, and then I started, um, you know, planning for longer races and, and travel and, and stuff like this. And I was like, you have to plan. Like you know, um, like what am I going to bring? Uh, where am I going to eat when I get there? Like all these details and logistics, um, you know, I, it's a stage race. I need to bring my bike cleaning stuff so I can clean the bike between stages and, and stuff like this. And, you know, I didn't have a nutritionist. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have like a team manager. I was like picking up all these things on my own. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's too many things to be an expert in, but to to be able to like see that there's a problem and just jump into it and like do something that's good enough to get you started uh i think that's yeah i don't know the word for this skill but like especially in a startup like like my first engineering job was at a, a big company like you know thousands of people and like these big companies they have a department for everything because they've been around for so many years like like they've seen it all there's not like a new problem that you can present to them so like when something comes up, you just go to like that department that does that thing. Uh, they're very task-based, but um, in a startup, like you don't, there's a stuff comes up and there's not a department to do that. Like you don't have no. like that problem department. Uh, you have to just, and you're like, okay, well, like, I don't know about this, but I can figure out enough to get it going and to make something that works. I think that's uh a good skill to exercise
0: okay advice number three
1: um <laughs> learn a new language
0: why are you learning a new language
1: yeah German
0: okay <laughs> how is that helping you
1: uh well it teaches you things about your own language uh for one mm, it's interesting it exercises your brain. Um, yeah, I don't know. Good skill to have adaptability.
0: Well, by learning a language. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs>
1: mm. Four? Yeah. I don't know i I come out of life advice you only
0: have three life advices
1: what am i missing
0: well i I don't know like i love teaching people life i'd have like maybe hundreds of advice (laughs) so i'm surprised
1: (laughs) i don't think i have advice for other people i just do my own thing um let's see hmm try to recognize your, uh, assumptions, like, uh, I mean, I think it's funny, like people in the U S they, they think it's like, you know, outside of the U S it's like foreign and scary. Uh, and then, then, you know, you have like your salary in U.S. dollars, your bank account in U.S. dollars, your investments in the U.S. stock markets, um, and then it's very funny. People will say, "Like, well, Bitcoin is risky, or like European stock market is risky, or something." And it's like, yeah. you don't even realize, like, uh, like one hundred percent of of your uh, of your value is like tied to this one thing, like the U.S. government, and and you might even like statistically be right. Like you might say, you know, there's uh, a ninety percent chance that like the US is, is strong, and like or like a uh, you might even say like a developing country has like a ten percent chance of success, right? And like, but then people like they go into this binary mode where they like like well, if it's if Bitcoin has a ten percent chance of uh, becoming a world reserve currency, then it's stupid like that's low so I'm just going to ignore (laughs) it it's like well no if that's what you believe you should put 10% of your net worth in it uh (laughs) uh, and people kind of take these things and they they put them into binary form where like uh they can actually like uh look at them in a a much more probabilistic way
0: yeah I think that's the problem in general with people not asking enough questions like themselves and just like being binary basically yeah um and well I was actually going to mention it somehow I don't know this is this is kind of like related to a podcast, but like with people having starting to have a bad habit of justifying everything by like math and code and algorithms and saying like, oh this can't lie, you know, and code is low and everything, you know, but it doesn't shield things from human nature. Yeah. You know, it's like algorithms work in vacuum, but it really depends on what kind of input you give them.
1: Yeah, and this is like the weapons of math destruction. Yeah, exactly. Like you like, put a bunch of data into a police database that like uh, you arrested a bunch of black people, and now the algorithm just suggests that you go to black neighborhoods. Yeah, exactly,
0: and then people say, "Well, it's math. It like, yeah. can't lie." And in reality, do not really understand what math is because math is the domain of input as well. Yeah, you know, it's just everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah. not just the sequence of steps
1: yeah i think along with probabilistic thinking is uh assigning probabilities to outcomes but also the severity of the outcome itself yeah uh so you can look at like you know uh well we argued briefly about like renting versus buying or like uh yeah. you know renting it's um, you have no upside but it's a fixed downside yeah um you you can't spend any more per month than your rent. Whereas owning, um, it's a fixed, it's a minimum cost. So you do have a lot of upside potential, but you also have a lot of downside potential that you don't have, uh, like I guess a safety guard against. Um, like your mortgage is the minimum amount that you pay, um, and you can apply this to lots of things. Like maybe a more concrete example is like uh like when i'm in the mountains like trying to like make decisions about avalanches like you know i can look at something and say like okay there's you know there's a very high probability that like this slope is not very stable um but i'm going to cross it anyway because i can see that the consequences are basically nothing yeah. like it's a very short it's yeah. it's uh, it's concave, so it will just kind of like uh smooth off onto the flat like it 's not going to go very far or anything um and and i 'll be willing to take the risk, but there could be a slope that has a very small probability of an accident uh but if there is an accident, then you slide off a two hundred meter cliff, and you know you won't be willing to accept even a very small probability because the outcome is like certain death,
0: yeah. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. And I actually have thought about it a lot uh, in the last year. And yeah, because people usually, they either think of probability or the consequences, when in reality, they have to think about the both and the risk. For example, I know know some people, um, their parents, like their moms, or I know people who were toddlers when the Chernobyl thing happened in Europe, and... The, a lot of mothers in Germany were afraid of the acid rains and how it would affect the cow milks because the cow would drink this water at the same time period and they would make almond milk to feed the newborns. And now a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, it was overreacting and that was like too much and overkill and how stupid and naive those people were." And I think, well, this literally has never happened in Europe before. Like, sure, the risk that something that happened in Ukraine would affect your newborn baby while the rain is, like, really small. But considering it was unknown and that could actually kill your baby or, like, make them, you know, grow a third leg or something. I mean, that was, like, back then, that was quite a big risk. And I would also, like...
1: Yeah, it's not, not worth it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I would also not be giving them cow milk, you know? I would rather, like, blend some almonds for, like, three months or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh okay I need number five yeah <laughs> um I don't know like uh, do stuff you're interested in <laughs> it's a lot easier to have energy to do it but I don't know I uh yeah I don't know how to I tried to have like a, a normal job when I was younger and I don't think I could do it like I just had to kind of do my own thing and find something that I was interested in and like wanted to do all day um and I guess I'm lucky that um, I ended up I get a paycheck to do stuff that I I find interesting but it seems to make life a lot better yeah I don't know is that advice It's just what works for me
0: do you have anything else to add
1: Hmm. yeah maybe like actually I guess it's part of the same thing like just working with people that you like doing the things that you like with people that you like turns out to be really important Um, I've tried to do jobs that I thought might like like starting a startup and I thought like, oh, this could, you know, I'm in with the ground floor, you know, could make a lot of money if it's successful, but there were already kind of like red flags with the other founders and, and stuff like that. It didn't work out. And um, yeah, if, if you work with people that you enjoy working with, um, it's worth whatever cost it makes life much better day to day. Yeah. I don't like, I'm running out of. I'm, this isn't even life advice. <laughs> I'm running out. Of, I don't have advice for other people.
0: Yeah. I have like lots yeah, of advice. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead. But let's stop this episode and then start the second one after a pause with life advices <laughs> because it's been an hour. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Uh, We're going to have a second episode soon. Okay. Stop.